Welcome to Cloudlandia. Mr. Jackson, <clears throat> and I think we're actually early. I think we're actually early. Is, uh, <clears throat> early is better. Early, early is, is better. on time. Yeah, well, early is better than on time, actually. That's right. I've learned yeah. that from, I know that you will be, and I will be, and there we go. So welcome to yeah. Cloudlandia. Yeah, and everybody can appreciate that we've seen some power of Cloudlandia over the last two weeks in the Ukraine-Russian war. I was very anxious to get your take on all of the proceedings here. Yeah. Well, I think the biggest thing for me, first of all, is what is happening was, from my standpoint, what I had read before. You know, I'm, I'm a daily news reader. I'm not a news watcher, news listener, but I am. No, a, I, I would say also you are, you lean to geopolitical uh, yeah. observation too. Yes. Yeah, very interesting. I mean, when I was, you know, in grade school, going through school, history and geography were always favorite subjects. And, and so that's continued, you know, that's continued since then. But one is that, you know, first of all, it's a really bad part of the world. I mean, the history of that area of Eastern Europe and anything having to do with Russia Generally speaking, you don't find it ever being a good place to be. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, just historically. And, but one thing that I think was demonstrated that was not predicted was the degree to which the automated financial networks in Cloudlandia, and specifically I'm thinking of a particular system which has the acronym SWIFT. Mm -hmm. And Swift, and Swift, I hadn't really gone deep into it until they started, you know, exploring just what this is and how it was used to counter Russia. Mm -hmm. And the best way to think about it is to think of the way that transactions happen on a global scale. And these are transactions between major banks in the world. Money is being used for. Generally speaking, if corporations are transacting, those transactions are actually taking place between one corporation's bank and another corporation's bank. Yeah. Okay. Because that's what gives it credibility and the banks are yeah. good at doing, the banks are good at doing this. And so the number that popped up is that around the world, if you think of every day, there are globe, major global transactions going on. And David Serber, who is a longtime friend of mine here in Toronto, who is a wealth manager, and he really pays attention to these sort of things. He said that every day, the total amount of dollar transactions in the world is $5.4 trillion. This I was, was going to say, it's so funny. I just saw Jamie Dimon talked about that same thing, the head of um, J.P. Morgan Chase and yeah. saying some great percentage of those transfers are them moving money between their own accounts. Like people have somebody's buying something from a merchant that also has an account with J.P. Morgan. So some more than half of the transactions are within their own accounts, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, really interesting, the numbers, you know, and 
you know, you know, a hundred years ago, the whole world economy was maybe worth five, five, five 5.4 trillion dollars. You know, uh, uh, I don't even know if you could right. uh, eval- evaluate it like that, but this is happening every day. Yeah. But the, the important factor here is 90% of those transactions are in American dollars. They're U.S. dollars. So 90% yeah. of all the ma- major transactions, and this would mm-hmm. be all transactions, this would be you ordering something um, Google Prime uh, or Amazon Prime and having yep. it sent to you. Okay, so everything that everybody's doing every day is uh, 5.4 trillion, and 90% of it is in American dollars. And that's when you, that simply is a testimony to the fact that the American dollar is the reserve currency in the, in the world. Okay, yeah. you know, in other words, that it gives relief to the other side that you're going to use a currency. For example, a Russian ruble would not give, would not really a sense of security to someone operating on the other side of the world or a Japanese or a Chinese yuan that they would not accept that. But if those countries, you know, said, no, we're going to do it in dollars. And they say, oh, good. It's going to be in dollars. That's great. Yeah. yeah, yeah you know, what me- was really, what was really interesting to me was that that brought much to my mind was when the COVID relief things were happening. I remember seeing on, I think it was on 60 Minutes or on a, a pretty major show, one of the heads of the Fed were alluding to the fact that they learned in 2008 that there's almost a bottomless availability to absorb new money that they print into the economy without the fears of rampant, you know, the repercussions that might come from flooding the money system with new money. And I think they were giving the impression that it's certainly it's almost bottomless, the the ability to be able to do that. What do you think that I mean, from your standpoint, why might that have not been thought that before that, but is now thought that? What do you think? Because they're talking about they have never tested it. Right. And the thing that in the in 2008, it's all economic theory that if you flood the market with dollars, that you're Venezuela, right? And but mm-hmm. Venezuela is a much smaller ecosystem mm-hmm. than that, right? So the capacity to absorb it, nobody's holding Venezuelan dollars in, in reserve. It's not the global economy, right? There's not warehouses full of Venezuelan dollars just in reserve, right? That I think that what they were saying is that as a store of value, it's almost like nothing like the real thing in a way, right? Getting the, that, that because 90% of the world's global economy, and I forget what percentage of the actual dollars are not even in circulation. They're in storage. They're in physical storage somewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think that that's what, you know, you look at that, that even, you know, so that was something that they didn't even get to. There was no practical way to to test that in the field until but, 2008. Oh, that was the yeah, first opportunity. They, they basically had to, you know, they had to bail out the, yes. 
primarily the the American yeah. banking system at the at the largest level. They had to because they had involved themselves yeah. in the subprime loans. In other yeah. words, that they were, and that's what yeah. they learned. That's what they were essentially saying. We learned that the first time that we were super conservative, and we've got we could have done more, and yeah. we can do more. And it was almost like with a wink and a nod, kind of say, say you know, we can, we're going to be fine. Basically, we can print whatever we want. That was the Didn't sense that I got. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if Jamie Dimon would talk about this or there's someplace else where he talked about it but the the real problem is they didn't when they didn't do enough it, it's testimony they didn't do it at the local level and the difference between what they did in 0809 with the subprime meltdown and what they did at the beginning of covid they flooded the local markets small businesses with money and and the, the whole point is it's just as bottomless at the local the the use yeah. of money if you make it available is yeah you give actually, people money they're going to use actually, it actually i think it's actually i think it's probably more bottomless than it is at the at the highest well, it's level more of, of a, it's certainly more of a multiplier right you give people on the front line money and they're going to use it. And then well, those yeah. people, those small businesses are going to use that money again and again. So the circulation economic yeah. impact of the dollars is much, uh, is yeah, much it's really funny. Sure. We went through David Riley, who's a member of the free zone and he's got banks in Minneapolis. And, and we just asked him, we said, you know, you have these uh, PPP loans that they're bringing out. And he, I said, can we as strategic coach, insofar as our U.S. company goes in Chicago, can we apply for our PPA? He says, absolutely. He says, just send it through. We had the money in three days. You know, we had yeah. the money. And David, I mean, David will tell you that uh, the last two years have been the great, greatest two years of his bank. Wow. And the reason was... and. A uh, story I didn't know, but David said that he represented the independent community bank with the postmortem that the finance department in Washington did after 0809. They were doing an experience transformer, you know, what worked, what didn't work. Next time we yeah. have something like this, what what could we do better now that we have the experience? And he said, get the money to every local bank that you have in the United States. He says, first of all, it'll it'll keep the banks totally active and ambitious, you know, mm-hmm. in getting money out to people. And so he was a key advisor, a key um, person to that. And then he did it. And he said it was remarkable how it could get there. And it was wow. so funny because my company knows that in our previous, let's say, 31 years, as it was, first year of COVID, we had never once taken any money from the government for any of their programs, you know, the Mm -hmm. governments there, you know, and, but we did with the Canadian version of the PPP and the uh, American version. Mm -hmm. And I I justified it because you have to Mm -hmm. justify it. If you said the one thing before and then you do different, you have to justify it, right? Right, right, right. Do you believe believe that? Have you ever done that in your life? Of course. Of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, we're not actually taking government money. We're just taking the money that's ours that government sees from us 
and we're taking it back and using it better than government can. Right so on. That, they that was, that was, us. That was yeah. my justification. That was my justification. Right. There you go. <laughs> I love it. You, I love it. I love it. Do you still respect me? I do. Uh, even more. Oh, good. If good. that's possible. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so go on with the, we were talking about uh, the bottomless, okay? Yeah, and so that was, but, that, but it's that only, was an interesting thing. You only have access to this bottomless money if you're in the system. Right. Mm-hmm. And that brings us to what happened over the last two weeks. Yeah, uh, that's Russia what, I'm got, to hear Russia got thrown out. That. Russia got thrown out of the club. Mm-hmm. Well, I realized what I did not know is that Russia is not part of the central banking system. And that's mm-hmm. an interesting thing when you look at the, you know, the grander conspiratorial, you know, sense of what's going on, of the, you know, all the suspicion or, or that everybody has about the Rothschilds and, you know, central banking, Illuminati ruling mm-hmm. the world kind of thing that Russia is not part of that. And mm-hmm. the whole, the bigger narrative of the moving to the one world government kind of you know, thing is requires, of course, having Ukraine as part of this. And they, you know, so it's really, it's so, you know, it's amazing to see Luba was, of course, is of course from Ukraine. And so Luba and I've been watching the things and she is suspicious of some of the ways things are being presented. Like what's me being, too. Me you too. know, it's yeah. Tell me what you're thinking because that's, it's so what you realize now is that there's uh, these, the things that are happening because of, social media being prime media now yeah. that there's so that's the important, that's the narrative that gets through. Everybody, well, this is my, this is one of my Cloudlandia proofs that I was going to bring to this conversation is okay, that totally. you can't in war. If you go back to the second world war, basically the battlefront news is what the generals and the government officials determined would uh, be allowable battlefield news and yeah. it's neither the militaries involved or the governments involved that are now doing the reporting from the battlefield it's individuals who are using their cell phone to catch yeah. this incident and catch that incident and there's such a multitude of prime mediums that they can immediately transmit their video or their recording to that the government no longer has any control or power unless they just completely cut off the internet. Okay. Which Russia has probably done, I would say in the last two weeks, they probably shut down about 50% of the access to information inside Russia Mm. to their own citizens about what's happening. They've cut down 50% of what's happening in Russia so that the outside world does not know what's happening in Russia because apparently there's riots and protests in over 50 cities. And, you know, and but going back, you know, to World War II time and probably a long time after that, uh, actually until the internet, they could stuff it. 
you know, they could really shut things down. And that power has yeah. been lost. So that's well, they one aspect all the of Cloudlandia. I just want to put the, yeah. the yeah, Cloudlandia right up. Now, I think part of what it is, Dan, is that the tools of communication, the tools of being the media, are have been demonetized and democratized to the point now where there's no advantage to being or having the big resources of a traditional media company. Anybody yeah. with their iPhone and cell phone service can publish to the world from where they are. And that the people who care the most have the opportunity to get their message out the, the yeah. most, you know, like the news yeah. media, the outlets, the, the, you know, bureaucratic ones or the, the sort of organized ones don't, those people don't have, they don't care the same way that, you know, the movement, the, the front line, the people who are passionate about their side of it yeah. do. And those yeah. voices have the opportunity to, yeah, and it's really interesting. The most passionate voices that I mean, we there's hundreds of different passionate voices yeah. coming from the Ukrainian side. Yeah, but the really passionate things that are coming from the Russian side is from 18 and 19 year old conscripts in the Russian army who are saying, are saying they didn't tell us that they were sending us here. They didn't tell us what we were going to do. We're killing right. people. They're killing us. And we don't know what it's about. Why? And we don't have, we don't have any food and we don't that's have any that's... fuel and, and everything. And the other thing is that the Russians have been telling a lie for what's also, this is a bigger context. You know, it's not like, you know, I mean, it's not like anybody, anybody has reported this, but the general, what I would say, takeaway from the last, that the Russians have been telling us how modern their military is and how super breaking edge, breaking edge their weapons are. <clears throat> but we're getting dozens and hundreds of reports. And they said, you know, the stuff that they have, their tanks, their trucks, their, you know, everything they're doing, their walkie talkies and everything are 40 years old. You know, they're, mm -hmm. they're from the 19... 1980s and we're we're working with weapons that are cutting edge from america yeah. from britain and from turkey yeah. turkey's supplying drones you know that can fire rockets yeah. at, uh, at russia and that's a huge context that's a huge context that this is a paper tiger army that that the russians have you know it's not what we had been told to expect that he said we're going to do it in a day we'll invade and in a day it'll all be over the ukrainians will surrender and the you know the western european countries you know, the, the nato countries won't do anything and that's turned out not to be true yeah and now it now feels like dragging on and not getting yeah and it's the worst possible situation because what they wanted was a conventional army, their army against our army, and our army will will prevail. 
but it immediately went into guerrilla warfare. I bet the average size unit on the Ukrainian side is maybe a dozen men, but they have these uh-huh. latest rockets. They have these latest rockets that tank, can knock uh, out. Yeah, tank launcher. The javelin is an yeah. American weapon. And, you know, you see the tank on your screen. It's two and a half miles away. It's over a hill. It's behind a forest. And you lock it in, that locks it into the missile. You press the button, the missile takes off. The missile knows exactly where to go. And it goes up high and it finds the tank that got locked in. And it goes right into the tank and blows it up. But meanwhile, the people who fired the rocket can be 100 yards away by the time the rocket actually hits the tank. Yeah, 100 yards away uh, from two miles away, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In other words, if you're... If you saw the rocket launch and you sent a rocket to kill them, they're not to where that is. The time right. The time. So my feeling is this is Cloudlandia stuff. This is all yeah. Cloudlandia stuff. The the reporting on the battle, you know, the reporting on the war from the front lines is Cloudlandia stuff. But the big yeah. thing was the fact is that there's this financial club that if you're going to be anything as a country in the world. Uh, you have to belong to the club, and you have to be a member in good standing of the club. Yeah. And Russia was deemed to be not a member in good standing. And except for one bank, they've been thrown out of the and it's the one bank that simply controls the uh, transactions of oil and gas. That's the only bank that's still operating. All the other banks in Russia that have been thrown out of the club. Wow. And I and that was not predicted and it was not expected, you know, and and I think it's a significant crossover moment from yeah. the mainland war to Cloudlandia war. Well, and it's really yeah, please wonder like on the ground. I there was a, on YouTube there's a YouTuber that Luba and I found a couple of years ago. It's a guy from England who goes and he's basically been touring around the former Soviet outposts, right? All the former Soviet places. And he goes and just to see how they're all doing that places. You would never go the remotest Russian areas. He goes into Belarus and goes into all of exactly all of these. And he goes like deep into the villages, like these, tiny village. He just meets people. He speaks Russian, uh, but he you know, brings them vodka and, and comes and goes in their homes and talks to them. And you get a real sense of what it's like to live in rural, deepest rural Russia. And I thought to myself, you know, he would be a good perspective on what's actually going on. Yeah. He goes into Ukraine all the time too. So a couple of when it was all going on, I went to his channel and of course he was on, already on his way to Ukraine, going in through the Polish side before, mm-hmm. before the invasion, before the thing. And he was really, he got a sense of that the Ukrainian people were peaceful and they were not, it was no panicking and there was no sense of, you know, worry or dread or anything like that. It was all very calm before it. And then he was, I'm 
behind on a couple of they took you know refugee train out of they went all the way to kiev then he went from kiev took a refugee train back to lviv and it was just you know an inside look that the Ukrainians are very stoic and well, calm. especially when in respect to the Russians, they are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, they're, 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 anything bad the Russians can do to another people, the Ukrainians have already experienced. There's no surprises. Right. Yeah, there's yeah. no surprises, and you know, and there's probably seventy or, or eighty year old in the Ukraine who can tell you exactly what the the experience with the Russians have been. You know, right. so my sense is that they didn't have any, they didn't go through any period. What What's happening to us? You know, like, right. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, people in Beverly Hills being locked down, you know, I mean, yeah. that's never happened in the history of the world. Right. You know, yeah, you, know you mean our restaurant isn't open? And you say, no, oh my God, the world's falling apart. Well, you exactly. know, not, not not really, but you have you know they have Ukrainians who lost three and a half million of their population in the 1930s because Stalin decided that instead of them having a, a wheat crop to eat, he would sell their wheat crop to get more foreign credit to you know to for other reasons you know so three yeah. and a half million Ukrainians starved to death you know. And he said, it's it's a neat thing because we get more money and we get rid of people who are just bothersome to us, you know. Well, the, you know, the, you know the, the stories get passed on from person to person, you know, over right. a period of almost 100 years. And, you know, so they have that as part of their mentality. The 19 and 20 and 21-year-old Russians who are fighting the war haven't a clue what, you know, they have nothing from their history. And of course, their history, it, 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 you know, doesn't include any accurate history and what the Russians did to other people, you know. So right. they're, they're mystified. He says, why are these people fighting so hard? Why do they hate us? Why are they so ruthless? And they said, well, you, you didn't learn history. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it's, but the big thing is that you, the world, that's in agreement about the financial, in other words, the attributes that you have to have as a country to be uh, eligible for membership in the SWIFT system. Like you can communicate with other banks and you can, you know, you can facilitate transactions that can be used as a policing mechanism to, to, you know, to respond and sort of push back against a country that's showing itself to be unfit for, you know, Wrong unfit doers. for membership. Yeah. yeah. Unfit for membership. Wow. So what do you, where does it go from here, Dan? What do you see playing out here? What, what's... Well, the Russians, you know, can literally, they've got the means to level you know, to level the Ukraine, you know, they can just, yeah. fly, they can just flatten it, right. but they can't change one mind or change one heart in doing that. Right. Okay. And the other thing is then they would have to occupy it. They would have to occupy it. And every day, uh, you know, every week, a hundred of their people would be killed by the guerrilla bands. Yeah. You know, 
Yeah, yeah, and enormous amounts of aid. I mean, that's uh, it would be hard to control the borders. You couldn't control the borders, so you you have no control over weapons coming across and information coming across. And so my sense is they've gotten themselves into quicksand here. The Russians, I think, have gotten themselves into a situation that is going to be ten times more costly than they ever reckoned. And I think the Ukrainians will bleed them to death. They'll bleed them to death, where it will force a crisis. There is no crisis in the Ukraine. And the reason is because the Ukrainians have not been surprised. Okay, if you haven't been surprised, there's no crisis. Mm -hmm. Okay, the Russians have been totally surprised. So that's how that they didn't just lay down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that the NATO countries all banded together. Germany has done a 180 degree backflip in the last two weeks. All of a sudden, they put $100 billion into their military program. They said, within two years, we're, go- we're going to be at full force, highly trained and everything. So if anything, the invasion has... Well, yeah, Germany will be back never again, right? That's probably their mindset for sure, yeah, never again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. yeah. And the, that part of... So there's uh, a number of countries that just absolutely love this. One is Britain, one is the United States, one is Sweden, and one is Switzerland, and one Mm -hmm. is France. And these are major weapons manufacturers in the world. And they just get a uh, chance to test out the latest stuff on Russians. And who better to test your weapons out than Russians? You know, I mean, right. <laughs> you know, you know, is there, are, are there Russians anywhere who are fighting that we can test our latest weapons out? And, uh, wow. and the javelins, the ones that they're using, the, you know, the shoulder held rockets and they weigh 30 pounds. The launchers weigh 30 pounds and the rocket weighs 19 pounds. Uh, Dean, you could comfortably take out another house in your gated community, sitting in your yeah. sitting in your in my uh, courtyard. In yeah. your courtyard, you could, and they would never know where it came from. I see a hole right here. I'm sitting in my courtyard yeah. right now. You have open skies. Do you have open I do. sky? I well, see it I'm under roof, but I could go. I could roll yeah. out into the opening there yes yeah and you could fire that and there you know yeah yeah, you could fire that and that's well they tested these because the uh, russians put a lot of armaments and they put a lot of troops into syria to support syria and so the your local javelin (laughs) distributor said hey there's a really good example to test out our javelin records our weapons against russian tanks you know, and Russian wow. tanks, Russian tanks. Let's just see if we can. So these were tested over the last five or six years, you know, and, and it's two men. You need one man to do the firing and hold the launcher. And you need another man to carry the rockets up to, you know, up to six of them. Probably they can carry, you know, strong man. 120. You know. I was going to say, I don't know that I could carry 120 pounds worth of rockets. Yeah, yeah. Well, this has not been your career choice, Dean. That's true. It's a good thing. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm already carrying around the, the extra hundred pounds. So, yeah. in addition yeah. to that, would be something else. Yeah, yeah. But so it's really interesting to me, and I I think it's unexpectedly Cloudlandia is playing a part that would have not been in the thinking. I think of the rush. Well, Putin that wouldn't have been in. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> And it's definitely, it is definitely playing out in the, in social media, though, the whole, everybody, all eyes on. Yeah. You know, that we're, the other we're all thing paying is attention to that. that Zelensky is like Mr. Beast. Mm. The president so. of, well, yeah. he's a uh, charming, he's, he's. Is he uh, beloved, would you say? Yeah, he's he's uh, a guy you would love, you know. He was the guy yeah. you wish was the Prime Minister of Canada. You know, I mean, you would have those right. feelings immediately. I, gee, I wish so we could maybe send like our prime, maybe send our Prime Minister to the front lines in Ukraine and bring in the, you know, bring in the President of uh, the Ukraine uh, as the new Prime Minister. You know, it's all walk. it's all done digitally anyway, so you know, right. Um, he could probably run Canada from the front lines of the Ukraine. So, you know, you never know. But uh, anyway, uh, and it's made, you know, you know, it's made Putin look like a mean, bloated, bad, evil, nasty person. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. He's not, right. He's, not attra- he's not an attractive. He's not an attractive person. And, you know, and there's a lot of conjecture of whether he's not, in fact, suffering from cancer and he's using, overusing steroids to, you know, to oh, really? get his energy up. Yeah, well, he's very bloated if you compare photos from a year ago yeah. to now. He's very okay. bloated. And that's what steroid, steroid use does. Also makes you erratic and aggressive, you know, which he's demonstrated is true, you know. Yeah, oh, it's conjecture. You know, it's conjecture. Yeah, it's yeah. Not, uh, it's not proven. Yeah. Yeah. So these are just some of my thoughts. These are just some of my. They're amazing. And you wonder, like, I often wonder, how do you, like, how do economies just keep rolling? Like, even this whole, you know, the occupation that they've been under for in Crimea, in Ukraine, it's been going on for years. Eight years. Now, but there's, Eight years. yeah, there's been. Yeah. And, and economy just rolls on like the day-to-day life of things just keep rolling. Well, I think I think that's Weird. the I think that's the point that Jamie Dimon was making that it was bottomless. Yeah. That there's a bottomless yeah. desire to do economic activity to transact right. with. A, and I think we've crossed some sort of threshold. We've crossed some sort of tipping point. That with the cell phone being the major instrument of economic creation, marketing, you know, uh, everything, you know, it's the everything. main thing of, I don't think, I think you, I don't think it would be unfair to characterize it as the centerpiece of modern yep. life. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I try and think about, like, I, I have been thinking about the, you know, removing part portions of that, like just observing I've been going in parallel at a few days where if I remember to do it, I think about like just go parallel in the day and see nineteen ninety two versus twenty twenty two 
and where does the day go? Where does the day go off? Like Mm -hmm. different, right? Where does it fundamentally differ? And there's Mm -hmm. not, you can't get a minute into your day without it already being different (laughs) in terms of my first, you know, the phone is right there to, to tell you the wake up. Whereas, you know, in 1992, it was the dependable clock radio that you had that was, and I think you've heard, I've heard you mention, you've got the same, that standard one. 40 years, 40 years. 40 years, still Sony, reliable. Very sort of a pukey beige looking, yeah. cheap plastic Sony. Got only one job in the world, and that is... Yeah to wake me up at the correct time in the morning. And it says, you know, I've got nice AM and FM stations you can listen to. And I notice you listen to your subpar, you know, stick to your lane, you know, you're good at, yeah. you're good at waking me up. And then every nine minutes, you know, I'll hit the button and nine minutes from now, you can wake me up again, nine months, after, yeah. you know, nine, and so yeah. that's all it's done. I bet the total usage of that clock over 40 years doesn't add up to more than three months. Right. Yeah, it's interesting, right? So, so you think about that, then if I, you know, going, I realize I, I walk, if I'm going to go to my car, I've got an electric car, for God's sake, that I'm driving, that drives itself. So that's pretty different than 1992. Mm-hmm. You know, you start, I go, I try and sometimes not bring my phone when I go to the local cafe here. But I realized that I pay for my coffee with my phone. Boom. Yeah, that I use my Apple Pay. I just hold my phone up and it all, I just push the button and it's, hey, I don't <laughs> need cash because it's all electronic. Right. And then I realized those, if I do that and then put my phone in the car, that gives me two hours of pure 1992. That's what I'm left with. But that's how I carve out my 1992 Mm -hmm. hours, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's really, it's interesting to to go with those, to go Mm -hmm. with those things. And I realized mm-hmm. when you had said something about when you, you, how long now for no TV for you? It'll be, and uh, last week in July, this coming July will be four years without TV. Yeah. Four years. Yeah. 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 And I'm noticing, you know, I don't know what was happening four years. Ago. I don't think, you know, four years ago, anything particularly big in the world was happening. And I I just did it is that we had a terrific summer, July and August. And uh, instead of watching watching, uh, TV in the evening, we were just out on the, you know, out on the patio and we were having Mm. a nice dinner and, you know, I generally reading, you know, I had Kindle and I was reading on Kindle. And I, I, so I, got to about Labor Day, and I said, you know, I haven't watched TV in six weeks. I wonder how long I can keep this going. Of not oh, wow, so it TV. just happened. Yeah. It just happened. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't in the intention at all yeah. until I realized uh, what had already been happening, and then I right. just uh, 
said, yeah, I just wonder how long I can keep it going. And I'm into my fourth year. Right? And I do know that my general, what I would say, positive spirit and, you know, and general, generally good focus throughout the COVID period was very much supported because I wasn't watching what other people thought about what was going to happen what was happening because you know i mean as far as they're concerned there's no hour that doesn't have major drama that's more important than the previous hours major drama right and we're most urgently kept up to date with it yeah through our yeah beacon our, our yeah. device and but, so yeah and so you know but i found you know probably another dozen sources of really great in-depth thoughtful articles, you know, that you can access on the internet. And, you know, when I save them, I've got good files of articles and everything else. And, you know, it's, you know, a really well thought out article, you know, a couple, you know, a couple thousand pages takes you, you know, takes you six, seven minutes to yeah. seven, eight minutes to read it is more useful than a, a 15 second you know, emergency, urgency update from, or to listen to commentators on TV who are not journalists, they're not reporters, they haven't been there, they have no basis for actually proving anything that they're saying, they've just been told what to say. So, you know. Wow. I got the latest numbers on uh, YouTube are it's 300,000 hours a day uploaded to YouTube right now. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And just think of all the Ukrainian stuff that's going up. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I was just watching and there was this picture of a Russian uh, helicopter flying across the field and it was very low. It was like 50 feet off the ground. And stinger rocket suddenly comes from the next field and just obliterates. I mean, it just becomes a fireball and, you know, and that goes up. And I bet, you know, the Russian troops are watching that, you know, saying, Jesus, you know, what have we gotten ourselves into? You know, yeah. Yeah, this is. Was, and then there was, you know, they were, it was in the control room for these Turkish attack drones, and they were just caught up with a convoy of Russian tanks and troop carriers, but they also had the mobile missiles. And they're like six on a truck, six missiles on a truck. And you can see the little square, you know, the the, the drone operators do and say, okay, we got it. And you push it and then you just watch it. All of a sudden there's just this massive explosion of six, six rockets, you know. And everybody said, yeah, yeah, good, good. You know, like I'm sure the Russian troops are picking this. The guys who are, you know, in other trucks carrying six missiles six feet behind them. Yeah, they're probably like, uh oh. Yeah. <laughs> they see it all. I, That's a, a, I think I think I need a bathroom break. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll be right back. Yeah. Pull over yeah. pull over behind yeah. the street here. I'm I'm only going to go a quarter mile. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean oh, I mean man. I mean it's deadly stuff, but if you can't have a sense of humor about it, you're not gonna to come to grips with it. Yeah. Anyway, but you know, it's yeah, it's just a very, and you know, uh, you were talking 1992 and 2022, yeah. but what would war have been like in 1992? Same war, same people, same place, you know. 
radically well, it would have different. Been, it would have been one day work. It would have been a one day work. I wonder. Yeah, may have right. Like what was well, nineteen ninety two. When did it was the year when, after? When was the Soviet. Gulf War? Yeah, it was the Gulf War. The first Gulf War was well. I'm uh, just trying to think here. The first one, Desert Storm. Desert Storm was actually ninety one. Yeah, ninety one. Right. Yeah, and that was yeah. you know when you look at that was all we had was CNN and yeah, CNN you know, was it. CNN was it actually. And I think back yeah. then. I think they weren't, I don't know that, I don't know, maybe my whole life you've just been naive to it, but I don't know that the, I don't know that the networks were showing their bias as readily back then, were they? Or was, has it always been that way? Has it always well, been? Well, I think that, well, here's my take, the communications media was set up in such a way there only could be one bias. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. And what changed it, what changed it was, it was very interesting. There was a thing that FM radio was possible technologically in the 1940s. It's very, yeah. and like, you could have had perfectly good FM radio in yeah. New York City or any place in the world. And, and, FM is always local because it doesn't have a reach. You know, I mean, once you get yeah. 40, 40 miles away, FM radio isn't any good, but within the area. And NBC and RCA, who basically were in collaboration with each other, said, this is going, this is going to completely undermine AM radio. We can't uh, have that. We can't have this new medium. So it wasn't until the 1970s that FM radio came in. And when it did, who went for FM radio? Well, all the nonprofit, like NPR, first of all, NPR grew up, National Public Radio. And then there's mm-hmm. another national radio station. It's not it's not NPR, but it's another thing. And it was basically university-based. It was university. All the yeah. universities around the United States, anyway, went to NPR. And then you had, you know, you had local and it tended to go to a more well-educated upper echelon audience. FM radio did. Okay. Okay. And they abandoned AM radio. And it was just about the time that a guy named Rosh Rosh Limbaugh Limbaugh. Limbaugh came across. And you could buy AM space for nothing. Uh, uh, like this, and all these local towns, and the other point of view, the other bias, completely swept across the country and gobbled AM. up all the AM AM stations, and all of a sudden you had a different point of view, and it's called the radical right. Okay. Right. Okay. Well, well, well. When you call Are something you, radical, it just means that you're hearing opinions that don't agree with your opinions. <laughs> You know, you're biased. I mean, Dean, you and I are not biased. People who disagree with us are biased. Right, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) We're completely rational, yes. People who don't believe in Cloudlandia, they're they're knuckle-draggers, you know. They're they're these one-eyed people, you know. know, We're completely fair and balanced. 
So the whole point, when you hear that something's radical, it just means that someone uh, has uh, a point of view that's different from your normal point of view. You're normal, you're rational, yeah. you're, you're reasonable. And well, someone, who doesn't, someone who disagrees with you is extreme, you know. And But you're right. I think in 91 and 92, that hadn't become a big thing yet. And right. I think the thing that crossed over, it crossed over, was Ross Perot running for president in yeah. 1992. And yeah. he got 26% of the vote. And they said, yeah. well, where are these voters? Well, they're local, you know, they're, they'd be rural, they'd be small town, they'd be, yeah. and he got 26% of the vote. And that was just an exciting put, time. Yeah. And then in 94, the Republicans just swept the Congress out for the first time in 40 years. The, the, the Republicans just took over the House yeah. of Representatives. And that was and, the rise of, that was the rise of, uh, Frank Luntz, the yep. and the contract with America. Yeah, yeah, that was the yeah. big. Yeah, the actual Republican wordsmith. You know, that was where they really took a liking to language. Yeah, yeah, and then you had Sarah Palin in uh, two thousand and eight, yeah. and she just got savaged by you know savaged by the mainstream media, and you know she took a lot of hits, but the People who are attacking her are the people who came out looking bad. Not she didn't look bad. I mean, she didn't win and probably, you know, wasn't properly trained or in any way prepared for the role that she was being asked to play. But the way that people just went out of their way to trash her didn't make her look bad. It made the people who were trashing look bad. The sophisticated journalists and commentators at the mainstream media. And that's where I think the negativity that I don't like these people, I don't like these people. And it's gotten worse and worse. And Trump was totally prepared just to flip that. He said, you know, these are awful people, you know, these awful people at, you know, at the networks, ABC, CBS, NBC, oh, uh, CNN, you know, just what a trash bin of people this is. You know, they're overeducated, pompous, conceited, contemptuous. Now, just listen to them. Listen to how they talk about people who act, actually work for a living. So I think that's where you get the crossover. It's that 90s. I think it probably happened during the 90s. Yeah. And then, and then, as that and then, got... uh, then the internet and podcasting. Right. I mean, uh, I mean, you didn't realize when the board, uh, uh, that, that when the, Barn doors were left open. That there were a million horses in that barn. <laughs> well, the first wave, of course, were blogs. That was the big thing in the nineties. As you know, that was the most reliable thing you could update, and that's where you know the Drudge Report got its foothold. Yeah, very yep. famously, you know, breaking the Monica Lewinsky story. Yep. That was, yeah. that put Drudge Report on the map. It was like a yeah. Washington a political insider with the news kind of thing. Yeah, and boy, what an empire he's built! That's <laughs> something. Just a simple single page hasn't changed yeah. in the entire yeah. time. Yeah. The big one in that medium is Breitbart. Breitbart is yeah. a major. I mean, they're a. 
I mean, they're the, I mean, they're far superior to CNN and, you know, yeah. I mean, they're not a broadcast. They're not a, that, you know, they're a pod. What is like, you know, how would you, I don't know that much about Breitbart. So, well, as Andrew Breitbart yeah, himself, yeah. he died 10 years ago. They're just celebrating his, his death 10 years ago. But he was kind of, he was a journalist and he he owned various news, you know, news enterprises of one sort or other. Yeah. But he just, you know, contrarian point of view that all the people who thought that they, who were in charge because they were smarter, he said, they're not smarter. They're not even as smart as the average person who does and but they do control the news media and we're going to break we're going to break their hold on the news media you know fascinating to listen to you know not yeah. inflammatory not inflammatory at all but right. just basically saying you know you know they they think they're two times two equals 40 and I, he says i'm just going to show you that they're two by two doesn't equal anything more than anybody else's two by two and yeah, a lot of facts, and but he said that the the one thing you know right off the bat is that they they are unwilling to debate. He says because their knowledge isn't based on any anything real, you know. Their knowledge. So anyway, so yeah, major figure, yeah. Actually, major figure. I, I say he and he and Limbaugh are the two big mm-hmm. historians. If there is a Mount Rushmore with contrarian. <laughs> right. Okay. Those two faces are on them. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think Trump is too. I think Trump. He just created his new social media about two weeks ago, Truth Social, and it's you know it had some glitches, but you know he's got about thirty forty million right off the bat who are plugging in every day, and it goes. I haven't watched because I don't like reading things on my phone, and and but it goes to you know it'll go to my community. Yeah, that's, yeah, I wonder about the whole, where this is all going to land for the next election, you know? Oh. Dan? Are you there? Yeah, we got censored. We got censored. I mean, let's just tell the truth, Dean. We just got censored. We just got censored. It's exactly I was worried about that. They cut, they cut us, they, yeah, they cut us off. You know, some 18 year old student uh, was just feeling very uncomfortable listening to our, to our phone call and cut us off, you know, just. Neil Young's in on it. (laughs) Neil Young's in on it. Anyway, so we just, we just, we just reconnected to say, to wrap up. So uh, that's it. Perfect. uh, Yeah. Yeah, so let's just review because this was yeah. all invented and exploratory. This was the solid sixty minutes of just, you know, kind of making stuff self up stuff up well, in funny. response to it. But it's funny we came to the, the call with the similar thought. That was on my mind about what was happening right now. And I knew you would have a I knew you'd have a take on it and I'm that's so I was very happy to have the conversation, as always. Mm-hmm. Me too. Amazing. I'm, amazed, I'm constantly amazed at how fast they they go. Well, yeah, and, and I think the interesting thing is that if you have uh, a perspective that there are these two worlds, 
My yeah. feeling is that your take on things without talking about it previously is going to be much more similar than people who think that there's only one one world or the other right. world. Right. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. And the, re- the reason is that a lot of people say, well, you know, the practical world and the physical world, that doesn't matter. I, well, it does matter. Wars are not, the, the wars that kill are not fought in Codlandia. They're, they're fought That's in exactly mainland. right. That's exactly right. You don't starve to death in Codlandia. You starve to death in the mainland, you know. That's right. That's true. Yeah, you can't run out of, no calories in club. No. Yeah. So, so I think that it, it pays to be familiar with both worlds and see how they yeah. interact with each other. And that's what yeah. we're doing here. I think we're having a conversation because my sense is that there are people who are rejecting the notion that Cloudlandia makes any difference. And they're just saying, you know, this is fairy dust. You know, this is poop. Right. This is fairy dust. And then there are people who are totally bought into the fairy dust and they say, well, you know, none of that old stuff matters anymore. And I said, no, I said, it's, you know, it's, you have to include both worlds and be successful in both. We were just, it's funny that you have to, it has to blend, right? But there's no, yeah. I think we're beyond where you can opt out of, of the cloud land. It's in, you got to be in it and not of it, perhaps. I don't know. The, uh, Luba and I were having a conversation the night, it's reflecting back, like from 1992 on looking like when was, I was kind of looking at when was peak happiness, I would say. Like, what was, where were the, if if you're charting, are you at the peak happiness that you've ever been in your life compared to the other periods? If you just look at Mm -hmm. a a scorecard of things, and it's really, it's it's a fun thing i think that there was definitely like the early turn of the century when the internet was everybody's kind of riding that wave of uh, you know everything becoming internet enabled prior to social media i think that's been those were yeah those were really good years i think yeah no, I, I, I mean, just answering the question for myself, there's no question right now is peak happiness. Yeah. And the reason of just what Zoom has given yeah. to me personally, our company, and then what becomes now possible just because of Zoom in the yeah. last two years. And, yeah. you know, I did my first in-person workshop last Thursday, and it was very enjoyable. It was very yeah. enjoyable. We only had 12. There was another, you know, there was another 20 who could have been there, but they said, you know, uh, we're not, we're really not certain yet and everything. And it was in Toronto. It was in Toronto and that worried some people. But by the end of the day, I was really clear of just how much we've gained from the two years of one, not being able to do in-person workshops and right. just mastering a second way of doing workshops. And I said, you yeah. know, it's it's both and. We've gotten a both and yeah. situations. Yeah. yeah. So that made me very happy. 
Well, I booked my, uh, we're booked for uh, Palm Beach, <clears throat> which is great. Well, you know, you know, you make sure you leave early enough to get there from Orlando. So, so yeah, we're looking forward to it. And it's, you know, we'll, you know, and, you know, we're almost back uh, to complete, you know, freedom of operation. Chicago, we'll be in Chicago next week and everything's clear and free for Chicago. So yeah. we're happy with that. And the end okay. of the month supposed to be here. Okay. So same time for me and an hour earlier. For same time okay. for you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. I'll talk okay. to you next time. Bye. Bye.